You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Good Erev Shabbos, a good Shabbos to everyone. So this is Fundamentals of the Talmud. And we haven't done so many lines, but I think we've covered a lot of different types of topics. Technically, what we've been doing this week is the Sugya of Haseba. Uh, and Haseba means, of course, the, the right body language that's necessary, the right body uh, position that's necessary uh, through the mitzvos that will soon be upon us, the mitzvos of matzah and morah and the four cups. Um, but really what this has brought to the fore is the nature of relationships between people. People are all in part of the Seder. How does this position, this sense of peel me a grape patty, I'm, I'm, I'm the queen, I'm the king, I'm in charge, I can, I can lean over in a, almost a provocative manner. And what does that do in terms of the balance of relationships between husband and wife and, and student and father, student and, and, and teacher and father and son. That's really what we've been talking about. So it's a pretty really, um, it, it's, it's a specific question, but it's also a very big general question about how our religious actions, uh, when we take them upon ourselves, how we manage and navigate them within the structure of our actual relationship. I think Josh, uh, you know, I, I think that's a pretty good summary of of, of what this is this, this discussion has been about. But we've also been talking about fundamentals. Really? Yeah, we also talk about what fun, we're talking about. We've been talking about fundamentals. We've been talking about the fundamentals of, of 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 what study, how learning is, and what are the unique fundamentals that this study has, this the Talmud has. Um, if you go to our, our podcast site, I've given it a title, which I call Entranceway into the Jewish Mind. Fundamentals of the Talmud, Entranceway into the Jewish Mind. I don't know who's downloading it, but we, ha- we have had hundreds of downloads. So if you are continuing to listen, please, I'm, we're, I'm very thankful that it's meaning something. And it's, it's a schluss, of course, to Josh's a departed friend. Um, and you can mention his name now, Josh. Uh, Lili uh, Shlomo Ben Arele, a real okay. Emesdik Yid who uh, loved every every Jew, um, who did tshuva, and was uh, you know a bright light. And um, you know, it's it's uh, it's very uh, on point that we would be doing the fundamentals of the Talmud in, in his uh, in his uh, in his memory. Okay, so you should have, a, as we say in Yiddish, a lichtekeganeden. So let us take a look here on our Talmud page. Uh, it's of Kufches Samad Aleph Himselchim, and you can see on the Talmud page uh, on the screen if you if you have one in front of you. And Josh, I hope you're, you're seeing the screen here. So this is the um, four lines. You can see as my cursor is moving up here. Uh, you can see that we're talking about. Um, uh, the term that we're going to start today is is mesve. Now, mesve is is a very uh, important uh, Talmudic term. Mesve is a question. It's an attack question. Um, the word mesve, the shorish of the word, is it attack question? 
Right. It's an attack on a, on a statement that was made. It is, it isn't, it's not just to explore. It's, 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 uh, the assumption is this is a knockout punch against you. How are you going to be able to recover? Uh, this question is pretty strong. Um, it, it's, it doesn't mean that we've got you and there's no way you can, uh, defend your position, but uh, this seems to be a, a problem with what you've been saying up until now. Now, who's the we? So the we is usually an Amora, a player in the Talmud, a player in the second, third, or fourth, fifth, sixth centuries of the Amoroyim, which is, of course, post the destruction of the temple. And in fact, a couple of generations, 250 years after that, well, not 200, but 180 years after the destruction of the temple, about the year 250, common era is when we say the Amaroyim uh, begin. And uh, some of the names of the of that first generation is Rav, Shmuel, Rabbi Yochanan, Resh Lakish. That's the first generation, the, the glorious first generation of Amaroyim. Now, what that means is the word Amora, the Shorish of the term is Ayin Mem, Aleph Mem, Resh which is to talk, to speak, to explain. Um, this week's Parsha has a lot of that. It talks about Vayikra, which is being called and given the significance of being loved, so to speak, called out. But then it's followed by Vayomer, which is talking to someone. So the word Amora isn't being called. It's about speech. It's about talking. Uh, the Mepharshim explain, the commentaries explain that an Amora isn't meant to speak cryptically. He isn't meant to just speak very short, specific words. He's supposed to explain himself. Now, you don't have much time in the Talmud to blather on, but the Amoroyim speak in greater length than the Tanoyim, the, the rabbis from the earlier generation. And they are really the, the the players of the Talmud. They are the ones whose opinions and whose questions form the basis of the Talmud, the Amaroyim, the talkers, the explainers. Now, one of the rules, if you're going to be a talker and an explainer in Amora, and obviously you have to go through your, your years of study to get there, is that what you say can be under attack by somebody from a previous generation. Somebody, specifically the previous generation of what we call the teachers, the Tanoyim. The Tanoyim are the, the ones who taught, the ones who gave over the, the text in its classic form that was meant to be memorized. And those texts are very carefully, were carefully put together in Hebrew mostly. Whereas the language of the Marayim, of course, is Aramaic, which is like we're speaking English. So the Tanoim, their, their articulations and their legislations, the words that they said and the way that they said it, those are the ideas of the Mishnah, the Braitot, Toseftot. All of those are statements from that earlier generation, that great generation. And the assumption to play this game is, is that you can't violate the earliers. 
you can't be you can be very creative, but within the structure that the earlier set, that the ancient one set, so to speak. Okay, so that's that's the dynamic between Tanoim and Amaroyim. Amora has a lot of free ability. It's like the kids playing. Imagine it's like kindergartners playing in the yard. They're playing in the yard and enjoying themselves. But the adult says, oh, no, 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 don't go past. Only from the monkey bars on. You cannot go into that area. There's a lot of good play and a lot of inventive play. But there's certain boundaries to that play. In the same way, in this intellectual play, there's certain things that are out of bounds and therefore, in a way, uh, need to be we, we we reject them if they if they contradict the earlier generations. Okay, so let me give you an example as we have it on the page here now. Okay, Josh, it's 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 understand. Do you understand what I've said so far, Josh? Okay, you, you, you get what I'm. Yes, it's actually a very uh, strong explanation. Yes, it was a very strong. You like the metaphor. Yes, Good. it was a very strong explanation of what an Amora is. Um in, in an explanation that's memorable and and also um explains again what their role is in in, in regards to the previous gener- uh, generations and and how they're the players. It's actually it's quite good. It's okay. a very good explanation. Okay, good. So what we saw yesterday was um what we saw yesterday was a statement from one of the Amaroyim, Rav Yosef. It was a statement that he gave over to his prized and beloved student, Abaye. Rav Yosef told Abaye, and I'm going to repeat what he said from yesterday before we get to the Mesve, just so you'll know what I'm talking about. Three, four, five, six, seven lines from the bottom, the end of the line. Ki atinan Rav Yosef. When the students and I came to the house of Rabbi Yosef on the Seder night, and we were faced with this quandary, or we were basing ourselves what we did before, we're wondering, do we, should we assume the position? Should we be in a languorous, uh, comfortable position in front of you? You're our teacher. You're the head rabbi. You're the greatest rabbi, perhaps, in, in Babylonia right now. The previous rabbi said we should lean. Amarlan, he said to us, you don't need to. And what he really meant was don't. <laughs> because because when, I'm a phys- when I'm here, it's even a stronger sense of God being here. And therefore, you need to acclimate yourself to physical respect as if I am the supreme general. And therefore, you're going to be at attention. You're not, even when you eat your matzah, you're not going to be leaning. That was what Rabbi Yosef says. Okay. So Rabbi Yosef's entitled to his opinion. Obviously, his predecessor, Rabbah, disagreed. But it's in the field of play. This could be an argument among Amaroyim. One says, this is the attitude you should have. And one says, this is the attitude you should have. But Rabbi Yosef's way of thinking is under is going to become under attack when something from the old generation seems to contradict him. And that's this term, mesve. 
we're going to ask a question on Yosef from a statement from the previous generations. What does it say? It says, Im hakol adam This is a brisa. This is an, I know it's a brisa because every mesve is some sort of earlier generational statement that, and, and, and 98% of the time, or maybe even 99 point something, it's either a Mishnah or a Brisa, something from that era. Okay, let's see what it says. So, Im Hakol, this is a quote from the Brita. Im Hakol, Odamesiv. No matter who you're with, Im Hakol with everyone, a person should assume the position as far as the mitzvah, the mitzvot of the night of the Seder goes. Then it says it even further. Viafilu, even Talmud Eitzel Rabbo, even a student by his Rebbe, and we talked about Rebbe means his teacher. Okay. That's a pretty strong brighter. Imhak, let's read it again. Imakol Odamesiv, with everyone. Even, don't, in other words, this seems to actually, this Brita seems to go to the heart of Yosef's point. Don't start thinking like maybe people are going to think in generations to come, or even now, the Brita is saying, that student and teacher has to have this fear level, this fear on a human level where we understand it and shape it based on the way humans fear their general. No. The night of the Seder, you need, Haseba is proper for everyone and should be done. The question I have is, is how would, if that was what was said in the past, how would Rabbi Yosef even come to the, to the understanding or why would he even say that? Because if it's so, it, it seems to be so clear, how could Rabbi Yosef? Uh, good question. Good question. Uh, the question Josh is saying is, especially, and I'm going to make the question stronger, uh, the, the Talmud tells us that Rabbi Yosef's uh, prime attribute was his memory, his memory of statements like this, his memory of not only you know the Torah, but his memory of these type of tanatic bright statements that he had in his mind. Nothing was written down. In fact, Yosef's nickname was Sinai, as if he had all knowledge. He wasn't, in fact, the Talmud says that his main attribute was not his analytic ability, but his retention ability. So it's a good question. Why didn't Rabbi Yosef know this Brayta? This Brayta goes against him. Um, I don't have a, I don't have a, a definitive answer on this. But I think the answer could be contained in the next line. Um, let's take a look at the next line. Ki Tanya Hahi, where that was taught, Ki Tanya Hahi, where that Brisa was taught, meaning Ki when Tanya it was taught, Hahi, that Brita, or in what way was that taught? Bishulia Dinagare. Shulia denagare. It's an unusual term. 
a nagar is a um uh, uh like a like a a, a a carpenter is a nagar is a carpenter shulia is like the heel of the carpenter in this sense the student is sort of like the heel <laughs> in other words an apprentice Shulia is another term for a guy who starts low, right? The busboy or the uh, the guy who starts in the lowest level of a job. That's what Shulia is. Nagre is you are an apprentice by someone who's teaching you a carpentry or any sort of job like that. You're an apprentice worker. And therefore, that's what it means, rabbo. I said before that rabbi means someone who has a lot of knowledge. Well, we put Torah knowledge as primal. But really the term rabbo, your rabbi, could be the guy who has all the the carpentry knowledge. If you're trying to become a carpenter and this guy's going to take you along on his jobs, he's your rabbi. He's your, he's rabbo. He's the one who knows a lot of knowledge that you're getting it from. And therefore, uh, in, in that way, this is the rabbo. Rabbo, it's it's rabbo as a as a master carpenter, and that's what the brisa means according to Yosef. According to Rabbi Yosef, he's going to say that when the brisa says even a Talmud Eitzel rabbo, it meant even this this pimply faced apprentice who's hoping for some sort of job, and this is his chance. Uh, to be able to get something to do. And the guy is taking him in. And there is this fear level. But if you're at that guy's Seder, then the job and everything about it dissipates. You're supposed to assume the position. But it didn't mean the relationship of a student of Torah to a teacher of Torah. The Brita never meant that, Rabbi Yosef is saying. Rabbi Yosef is saying that's such a special relationship, despite what the words of the Brita say, I don't believe that's what it means. So to answer your question, Josh, and you know, and I I always quote this uh, line from Simon and Garfunkel's uh, song, um, The Boxer. A man sees what he wants to see um, and disregards the rest. In that way, Rabbi Yosef has these words and he reads them the way he wants to read them. He says, look, I still stick to my guns, which I believe, Bryce's or not, is the opinion of rabbinical knowledge. A teacher is God in a physical form almost. A teacher is, you need to have the fear of God with you when the teacher is there. And maybe at the night of the Seder, more than any place where he's teaching by his speech to you and how he's running the Seder, he's invo- he's giving a shear. He, it isn't just a meal and an experience, but it's a class and it's a class of Torah that should be uh, in, in, emblazoned in your memory and accept it like you are as a student, like accepting in front of God. Rabbi Yosef is so firm about this, that he's willing to read this Brita to mean it never spoke about that. It uses the word Talmud and Rav, but it doesn't mean the Talmud in Torah. It means the apprentice 
by the master, because that could also be a Talmud. Talmud means to study, to learn, to go over something. And Rav means someone who has a lot of knowledge. Okay, do you get what I'm saying here, Josh, on this? 100%. Um, so I, I, the question I, I have is, in the Talmud, would someone, because it, the, the response, uh, while understandable, kind of seems, uh, and I, I don't want to mean this disrespectfully, it seems like it's more about defending his position than necessarily. It, I don't want to say he's, he's pulling at strings, because obviously there's 70 interpretations of Torah, um, and obviously I haven't read on, so I'm assuming that they're going to challenge challenges too, because um, why would they make a bright uh, that's so specific yet so vague in the way they explained it? Well, it's actually Rabbi Yosef's way, um, Josh. Uh, the, the, the Gemara's assumption when it says the word Mesve is that this is, like I said, an attack. And this seems to, you know, based on the rules of how Amaroyim work, Rabbi Yosef should retract his original, his original psak. Or we should, uh, we should throw Rabbi Yosef's psak away. It's interesting, Josh, that, and I, and I don't have time to research this, but if you take a look at the Talmud page, look where my cursor is. It says, um, there's a little, you see where it's the cursor says, Lodzrichisu, there's a little Zion. That Zion, that little tiny Zion, is supposed to take you to the, um, the uh, on the page here, it's supposed to take you, let me move this little bit. It takes you over here to this Zion and it quotes Maimonides. It seems like Maimonides agrees in halacha like Rabbi Yosef. Um, and this is Tuf Ayin Bey Sif Gimel in uh, Shulchan Aruch is also mentioned there. And I happen to have that in front of me now. And when I look there on Tufai and Bays, the Shulchan Aruch says that a Talmud in front of his Rebbe Should not lean. However, which means halacha actually adopts <laughs> uh, Rabbi Yosef's opinion. Um, however, it says that he can give you permission, though. He can give you permission, the Talmud said, the halacha says. And that is based on uh, uh, what the Rosh. Here in our Gemara, one of the postcom says that the Talmud has a right to give you permission. And um, the Rebbe has a right to give you permission. So again, what did I do? I showed you that there are clues on the Talmud page as to how we follow in Halacha. And that is here in the top left of the Talmud page. There's something called the Ein Mishpat, which is sort of like the source of the law. Ain is the eye, but here it means like the center, the center of the law. 
and the light near mitzvah, the light of the mitzvah. And and this uh, this is is your place to find where the statement in the Talmud is reflected in codification in halacha. And that's what you have here. That little Zion is over here, and I just looked that up. So it sounds, and this really makes your question, I think, even... Yeah, call. Thank you. But... That question makes it even stronger. It sounds like we actually appreciate Yosef's approach in halacha, which was keep the firm fear relationship between a, a student and a teacher. However, there is this qualification that the teacher might allow the student to lean if he has a different type of relationship with him. However, the default mode is Rabbi Yosef's attitude. Now, which makes your question even stronger, which is, well, why Why did they feel, what about the Breitah? Uh, they were willing to accept a tortured explanation of a Breitah. Now, one could it be because it's uh, the more um, it's like putting a fence around Torah. It's the it's the most uh, maybe the, the the most stringent while allowing for leniency. So you're making it more. I don't want to say a humra or a, you take it, you you're kind of making it more uh, stringent. Uh, but with leniency to kind of like leave, leave room for, you know, um, for, I don't know, uh, for like yeah. a Tom, a, 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 a Rebbe to, to give permission to his, to his, uh, his students. Okay. I, I think, uh, what you're saying is, is that, that the rabbis, um, well, that, the, what I just told you about the Rebbe giving permission, um, uh, is not mentioned specifically here. Um, I, I, I do believe that that was something that the postkim felt was important, not to keep this sort of Germanic, you know, sense of your Yavol Commandant in front of your in front of your Rebbe. I think that allows the default position, which is the Rebbe is 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 is, is Torah for you, and you must have Kavana Torah. I think that I think there is where I would say the rabbis are back putting their shoulder behind Rabbi Yosef. The other thing I, I need to say here is that again the brightos can be a knockout against an amora, but an amora if he can read the brighta even in a tortured way he's still playing the game. Now there's the brighta. If it can be construed to be talking about a carpenter, even though that's not the normal idea of a Rebbe in a Talmud, let's go. Rabbi Yosef is still playing. And that's especially true, I think, for a Breitah and not a Mishnah. One of the things that, that, that you'll find in the Talmud is that when an Amora contradicts a Mishnah, it's a bigger deal than a Breita that was never made part of the book called the Mishnah. The Mishnah was a book that was put together from a collection of Breitos and other earlier statements and edited and whittled down. And according to the Rambam, it wasn't done by one person. 
It was done by a team of the greatest scholars. Therefore, the Mishnaic uh, formulations, the words in the Mishnah, it's, we might not get away with such a, uh, a forced interpretation because the Mishnah, come on, you can't play fast and loose with the Mishnah. But even though a Braita can be like a torpedo against an Amora, an Amora has the uh, elasticity to explain it. And if the explanation fits in the words, although that's not the way you would have read it, the Amora is still alive in the game. So that could be another reason why, listen, it was an attack, but it wasn't attacked from a, a direct Mishnah. It was from a Braita. So the Braita might not be as exactly written and as carefully formulated as the Mishnah was. And therefore, you can sometimes have a little bit of hyperbole or a little bit of a, a statement that perhaps as long as we can compress it and, and, and make it fit into the words, we're okay. I'm actually, uh, when I look at the, thinking about it again for the first time in this way, the words imhakol, I believe, are even stronger. You know, imhakol adamasiv, with everyone, right? So everyone sounds like everyone. So, afil Talmud Eitzel Rabo. So, um, that term, imakol, I think is a very strong one. Um, what I would say, possibly, is that maybe, and we go back to Shulia Denagre, when we talk about the Shulia, when we talk about the, uh, the low guy, the very low, pimply-faced apprentice, it could be this bright that was talking in general about all the workers who are coming to the boss's Seder. <laughs> and what we're saying is, in other words, other mesif, uh, meaning that no matter who the worker is, it could be uh, the lieutenant at the company, the, the guy, the head of this, of this division, even the lowest guy, even the guy who's just a complete total student who's just learning the ropes. And it could be the bright that was really talking about the sense of, 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 of fear like we, we have almost in the business world. But again, I, I think that's, that, that's speculation that's probably not true. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a reasonable explanation because the, you bring up a good question. It says everybody. So well then Yosef says, no, it's not everybody. It's, it's just type of individual but so that has to be that has to be answered and rectified so i, I think it's a reasonable question and a reasonable thing that to, to put forward in my limited uh, right, right. Tour right, so the, right, that's what i'm saying is it could be the way yosef learns this brighta it was referring to you know you have this dictatorial boss and everyone's got to answer to him and yes sir yes sir and he invites everybody for the seder and um Everyone should do Haseba, even the guy who just got the job recently, who's just learning the ropes. Because as important as it is to have discipline in business, it's not the same as a teacher of Torah. So that could be the way Yosef will look at this brisa, that it's a very uh, specific case about boundaries. And the truth is, it's making me think in a very fascinating way. A lot of times, you know, when you're in, when you're at work, you got to be buttoned down in the tie. And now when the boss invites you 
for the barbecue, all of a sudden the boss is in his khaki shorts and, you know, and, and, and you're showing him your wife and kids. Right. But 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 during business hours, you know, you don't you don't got time for that. You're supposed to be there's a dress code. Uh, right. Right. So there is the sense of what's the Seder. Right. Now you're going to the Seder. Does that obliterate the 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 social uh, structure of connection at all? And the, and the and the brighter might be telling us, yeah, right, because right now, forget about the job. Right now, you're all free men. We're all b'nei chorin together, and therefore, you need to put that out of your mind. The fact that this is, you know, this is the boss that that that, that you're always, you know, uh, running to get his coffee or whatever it is, and 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 being a yes man during the week. Over here, you're allowed to haseba. Is what's called for. So that that could be a, a brand new interpretation of, of what the Bryson means, and therefore it's not a challenge to Rabbi Yosef. Uh, do you like that better, Josh? Okay. All right. Good. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. Um, I want to stop uh, in, a, in a minute or so, a couple minutes because uh, we started twelve fifteen. I want to stop. Uh, make this a little abbreviated. Um, the, the, I just want to we'll start with a question. Iboyuluhu, three lines from the bottom. That's a key Gemara phrase. Iboyuluhu. They were asked in the yeshiva. The question came up. Iboyuluhu. It was asked from them, from the assembled rabbis, the assembled scholars, teachers, thinkers. Shamash mai. What would be the shamash? Now, in those days, almost every meal had a human being that was serving, bringing stuff in, attending. We don't really have that today. We, we have a much more independent sense of the way we eat. But in the Mishnaic times, there was the waiter, and everyone was almost, uh, many people acted as a waiter. Um, and uh, the waiter would, I guess, have his Seder, you would assume, maybe later, but maybe not. Maybe the waiter is bringing in the food, bringing in the matzah, bringing the cups. He also wants to be part of the Seder, but he's got a job, and his job tonight is to be your servant, to be the guy who's taking care of you and bringing in the food. He's probably getting paid for it. Uh, and this is this is something the, the Talmud tells us that many times rabbis did it for each other. It was like a uh, it, it wasn't that they picked the youngest kid in the yeshiva to be the shamish. The, the Talmud tells us that sometimes it was even a, a respected rabbi who would be a shamish. It was this sense of equality. Everybody's a shamish for everyone else. There was maybe a, 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 a listing on a board when it was your turn to be the shamish. And everybody did that. That was the idea of, of, of being a shamish. Today, you know, in, in, we think about the shamish and the shul. We think about, you know, a dusty old guy who doesn't have parnasa, and this is his job. In the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara, the shamish was, could have been a very respected person, but he's doing the noble thing, which is serving. And this is his week or his day to serve. So now that he's this shamish, and he's going to be getting some matzah at the Seder from the people at the table. What, should he be in a state of Haseba or not? That was the question. 
Kamash Mai. So, um, so on this, and we'll end with this, Toshma, this was a key word from yesterday, let's bring a proof. Now, the proof is sometimes from a Mishnah, sometimes from a Brisa. Sometimes a proof can be from a very respected Amora. I mentioned before the first generation, the golden age of Amoroyim, Rabbi Yochanan, Rishwaki, Shmuel. There's one person who's also from that era, who's almost a Tana in his way. He's also from that golden age. He's technically not a Tana. His name is Yeshua ben Levi. And that's what we have here. Da'amar, that it was said by Reshud Beis Lamed, that is shorthand, that is uh, uh, an acronym for Rebbe Yoshua Ben Streicha Levi. His statements are considered more definitive, almost like a, a, a Mishnah, but not as strong. But we can bring a proof, Toshma, come in here. What did Rebbe Levi say? Hashamash, that if a person's the Shamash and it's the night of the Seder, Sha'ochal Kezayit Matzah, he at least gets a kazayat in. The rest of the people don't. <laughs> they eat more than a kazayat <laughs> because they're eating, they're sitting. The shamish is, I got to get the soup. I got to get the fish. Got to get the eggs. Get the wine in. Kitchen, are we ready? They're almost finished with the, the second cup. Is the stuff coming? You can imagine what the shamish is doing. So Yeshua bin Levi said, we know you're not eating normally like everybody else. but if you get a kezayat of matzah, you get that minimum amount, and you make sure to 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 go shh, shh, and to and to calm down and be massive and get your body in that leaning langorous position. Here's a key word: yatsa. You have fulfilled your obligation. You in Yiddish we say where you say the mitzvah, right? Have you have you gone out of your obligation? Shamash, you had a job at the Seder tonight, at this hotel, wherever it was. But you also have your own obligations to fulfill. So Yeshua ben Levi is get, talking to the Shamashim out there and saying, as long as you eat that one kezayis, it might not be when everybody else is eating it, but you got that kezayis and you assumed the position, you have fulfilled your mitzvah. Why did Yeshua ben Levi add doing the position? It must be. That even though you're a shamish tonight, you still need to assume that you're not a subservient person. When it comes to eating the matzah, you need to be in that uh, body position. And that's what the Gemara ends with. Masiv in. Yeshua ben Levi instructed the shamish to get on the couch and lean over to his left and put the matzah in his mouth. Low masiv, low. But if he doesn't, it sounds like you have not fulfilled your mitzvah. Even though you could say, tonight I'm a slave. I'm a shamish. I'm scared. I, I want to make sure I'm doing my job right. No, that's not correct as far as eating matzah goes. And on that, the Gemara ends with the words, Shema Mino, a key Gemara term. Shema Mino. You can imply it from there. You can imply it, Shema, you can hear Mina from it. And what do you can hear from it? Bo'i, Haseba. Haseba is necessary for the Shamish.
And on that, the Gemara puts its seal of approval. Shema mina. You can hear it. It's true. Yeshua and Levi said it. We've answered our question about Shamash. Okay? So that's it for, for today. Shema, uh, Shema uh, Ma'i? Is that Shema Mina. Shema. Mina. It, it can be heard or implied. Shema like Shema Yisrael. Mina. Right. From it. From what you just said, I imply it, I hear it, I absorb it, I accept it. Because Yeshua yeah, Levi, call off. Thank you. Okay, so that is that is today's fundamentals. And let me see here about stopping the recording. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 